Hello and welcome to the Arkin Brothers Talk About Movies. I'm Matthew Arkin. My brother here is Anthony Arkin. And this week we are talking about 1988's Vampire's Kiss, starring some people. Nicolas Cage, Maria Conchita Alonso, Jennifer Beals, Elizabeth Ashley. It's a crazy ride, and uh, I'm a little worried uh, that there may be a clash of titans here between me and my brother. So enjoy the show. Talking about cocktails that are stylish, movies great or phony, and how Tony should win, and Matthew, and Matthew should win, and Tony. But in the meantime, talking about film. Just like dinner at home now. <laughs> Everybody gang up on Matthew. I need to talk about it. I need to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A little clip from last week's shenanigans. We're as surprised as everybody else is with that. Every time. Uh, how was your week? How you doing? It's good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you too. I like your vampire teeth. Yes, I'm getting uh, my head. is getting bitten by a giant vampire. For listeners at home on the podcast, Matthew is looks like his head is being gripped in the teeth of a giant monstrous vampire. <laughs> it's very believable. <laughs> Almost as believable as some of the effects in the movie. Um, yes, there you go. Uh, I, how are you? I'm fine. Uh, much the same. Much the same. I'm good. How are how are things in the in the world of uh, in, of libations? Libations. Not much going on this week. You know, we, the holiday week. The last week was the first day of school at at the college. I was getting ready for my first classes, which is always I'm always anxious. The, yeah, you were nervous. How they they everything go okay? It went very well. Went very well. Good group of students. I think we're gonna have some fun this semester. I desperately Just, hope we're going to have fun this semester. Well, as long as the grades come out and uh, who cares, really? Is fun? I mean, is fun a part of life anymore, really? Not I don't really. know. I'm asking. No. I'm literally asking. You know what's fun? Being done with the day, getting into bed, closing my eyes, going to sleep. That's that's what I look forward to every morning it's when I get the saddest up. thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> You can't, don't go around saying that kind of thing. You, you watching anything interesting? I mean, aside from this movie? Um, well, I am, like I was uh, talking to Sophia before about the show. I am one episode from finishing um, Paper Girls. I, I'm terrible at binging shows. I, I really feel like I should have gotten through this already because I'm a big fan of the show, as it turns out. Like, I'm going to like, bite you or something. It's just kind of silly that I have to sit here and apologize for my 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 fandom being is that this feels like I'm just celebrating our own producers, which I really am. But it's as much of a surprise to me as it is to anybody that our producers are as talented in as many ways as they are. So there it is. Um, show is great. I've recommended it to a few people, including my uh, producer and producing partner, Michael, uh, who... I worked on my movie with and he's in love with the show and dad loves the show and I've just been enjoying the heck out of it. Yeah. Other than that, I've seen a lot of old movies like as usual. It does it does uh, raise a question in my mind, though, because our producers are so incredibly talented that I wonder what the heck they're doing spending their time with us. 
Um, That's what I wonder sometimes. Well, you know, you could choose to look at that as a positive instead of a caustic, weird, uh, <laughs> paranoid negative, as you seem to be. Um, you know, I'm 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 going to say I'm going to say that this is good news. That that means that you know, talented young people uh, don't feel they're they're completely wasting their time. Uh, <laughs> With old folks like with us. The, with us, but who knows? You know, I yeah. You never know. Um, so, did you see other good things? No, I'm still watching. You know, Fumberton's. You know, Fumberton's PI. I want to have a serious <laughs> conversation with you. All right. So now that we're doing this uh, this movie show, yeah, on a, on a fairly regular basis now for for a while yeah well you know this is our 95th episode might so. you and i don't want to you know let's let's not let's not fix what's not broken but <laughs> might you think about perhaps instead of watching fumberton's pond <laughs> yeah you you watch uh, 40 minutes of, of some classic movie you've never seen before to round out some of the uh, the darkened corners of of your cinematic uh, interior life, what do you think? <laughs> That's what I have this show for. This show gets me to watch a movie every week okay. that I wouldn't otherwise watch. You're going to add more work to that. Point taken. I don't. I, don't get... I couldn't think of a more horrible job if I wanted to, and you have to do it. You have to. Yeah. That's how I feel sometimes at the end of the day. If, if somebody tells me one more thing that I have to read or watch instead of just being able to turn on the TV and turn off my mind. what? And I will say that on Fumberton's P.I. or Pond or whatever you want to call it, which this month happens to be a show called Endeavor, a uh, British crime thriller. There is one of, I think, the best actors I've ever seen in my life fellow named anton lesser who uh if you don't know his work check him out where would i have seen him outside of fumberton's pond <laughs> i'm not sure what else he's done besides he does a lot of theater in in england you're just uh, saying that because you assume all of Brits okay. do a lot of theater i would well, think no. that's... <laughs> uh, no. anton lesser what has he been on anton lesser lesser there he is he's an english actor and he's been, he's just spectacular. He, uh, what is it? He was on Endeavor. He was on, oh, he was on Wolf Hall. There you go. <laughs> Which right. I think is a sequel to Pemberton, Pemberton's Bond. <laughs> this wasn't a complaint or a criticism. I was merely curious and you've answered my question perfectly. As we said, if it's not broken, don't hammer at it. <laughs> um. I so need is this to relax. Show? I need to relax watching mindless stuff sometimes where I don't have to think. All right. I was more, I guess, relating to the idea that you were just, you were desperate the minute you got up in the morning to just go back to sleep, that the whole day was spent <laughs> waiting for the opportunity to, to go back to sleep. It is. My day is basically going through my, the checklist of things that I have to do before I can get back to bed. Um. Well, one of those things this week was watching The Vampire's Kiss. Yes. And I did it. Or just Vampire's Kiss. There's no Vampire's the. Kiss. Yeah. It's not the, it's not a, it's just Vampire's Kiss. What, uh, what's your, what was your relationship to this movie before you saw it? 
I didn't know anything about it. I knew absolutely nothing about this movie. I don't think I'd heard of it other than people mentioning it and saying, oh, vampires kiss and raising both of their eyebrows, which <laughs> I didn't know how to interpret. Because none right. of them were, were had the courage to tell you maybe how they actually felt right. or yeah. one way or another. And, um, I'm, and I'm afraid going into this episode, you know, that, that well, not I'm not afraid. Maybe I'm anticipating that I'm going to learn that this is actually a work of of towering genius in in a way that I'm not aware of. Okay. <laughs> because sometimes my brother Anthony instructed me. That's a that's a I don't I don't I'm uncomfortable well, with the I, way no, that you phrase that. Opens my eyes. Sometimes he I, opens my eyes to things I wasn't aware of. There, is that better? And and which which let's face it, frankly, you probably wished that you had to add your eyes shut for. <laughs> well, I did no, I do not wish I had had my eyes shut for this movie. Um, uh, I guess we should tell people a little bit what it's about. Um, uh. Uh, Nicholas Cage plays Peter Lowe, uh, uh, a fellow who works in a publishing house in the in the foreign rights distribution arm of a of a old, uh, apparently an established publishing house, and um, he's very full of himself, and he's in therapy, and he's a little bit. Um, He's a little bit American psycho-ish, perhaps, and uh, he doesn't treat women particularly well. And then uh, a, he brings a woman home, and a bat flies into the house, and he gets is able to get ready. Apparently, he doesn't get bitten by the bat, but he, <laughs> yes, he says "shoo" to the bat. Get he turns starts turning into he gets visited by a vampire in the form of Jennifer Beals who bites him and he starts turning into a vampire and, uh, and losing his mind. Uh, and which of those things is actually happening at first we think it's a vampire movie. And then it turns out to be a movie about a guy losing his mind. Um, yes. Uh, okay. We're getting notes from the producers already. Yes, which is I think we should really be on top of because as it turns out, uh, they feel very strongly about this movie. I don't know which direction that leans, but they have a lot of research, a lot of, lot of things to say. They say, by the way, Christian Bale says he used Nick Cage's Peter Lowe character as an inspiration for uh, his work in American Psycho. Which I which can get. I can see. I, I, I can totally see that, too. As a matter of fact, there's a through line, a direct through line to these two movies. And um, I would say, no doubt, Mary Heron was very aware of Vampire's Kiss uh, when she made American Psycho several years later. Um, okay, so yeah, that's basically the movie in a nutshell. Um, sounds like you had a trouble, a difficult uh, experience. Sounds like you struggled a little with this one. No, not at all. Oh, okay. No, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it, but I'm, uh, I, because moment by moment, I was astounded by what I was witnessing. <laughs> Is it? Well, <laughs> I mean, it, it's an actor who has been, uh, just 
turned loose um with no guide no 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 guide rails no guard no, no guardrails no guide little plastic cones maybe but they're just suggestions <laughs> yeah that are yeah. disregarded disregarded and it, it's sort of like whatever random choice i might make i will i will if, if it would be if it would be really good to do this at 90 percent, i'm gonna do it at 170 percent and see what happens yeah yeah it also is it to this day his his favorite film that he's made which frightens me uh not not me at all no, no. I, I i think that i would also consider this my crowning achievement if i were him and um <laughs> okay i'm gonna i'm gonna swing hard for this one all right let's I'm swing go. hard uh i'd never seen it before i it was it's like a real I'm kind of embarrassed to admit I'd never seen it. It's a movie I really should have known. And I didn't for whatever reason. Um, I think I thought it was like a goofy comedy. Uh, I, I thought it was a different kind of goofy comedy than it, than it is. Um, I thought it was a more slapstick kind of late, typical late 80s kind of gag fest. And... Uh, that's okay, but when they mix that with horror, I get really disappointed. I usually just get really, really upset, disappointed, and I'm, I don't find it funny. Or and I, so I guess I avoided it for that reason. I've also kind of come to be a late cage appreciator. I mean, I never disliked him because early on in my movie going life, he was turning out performances like in Raising Arizona. So how could I not like him? But I didn't know how I felt about the whole thing until a lot later and 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 say what you will i will say what i will but you know it's as if he's decided that there will not be a moment like you've seen before in any given circumstance like his other actors have done this for a hundred years they've come into a room saying hello how are you like a normal person for a hundred years and he says that's boring i've seen that <laughs> Why don't I come into the room like this? And I have a real appreciation for that now uh, that I didn't really have before. Okay, but but for those, <laughs> but for those of us who think that that perhaps the 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 performance should be rooted in some sort of reality. Even if that reality is, even if you're playing somebody insane, the insane person lives in in their own reality. No, that, well, no, I, I'm head. not. I'm shaking my head in the sense that that I think those rules apply for for a certain kind of movie, but for what is arguably a completely deconstructionist, postmodernist meta film. No, I'm I'm being serious. Those I, rules. Are, I knew I was in for this. Those rules are are really different now. Like I, you know, striving for for truthfulness or 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 specific you know human realities in a scenario where I think what what they're riffing on are are you know are cartoons of reality more than than an attempt to recreate it. It's like, yeah, no, it's not. You're right. Yes, yeah, so that is not accurate. That it's not an accurate depiction of 
that's not a photorealistic depiction of how people are. That is not an accurate depiction of, of human life on the planet Earth uh, for the most part. But that doesn't mean it doesn't have every reason to be front and center in a movie about life. And uh, that's where I'm coming from. Beth. Yeah, I, I agree with that. If If I buy that the filmmakers were consciously deciding to make that movie but I, that i i i don't know how you could make how you you really don't think they were making that movie you don't you really don't think that them trying to remake the metamorphosis in 1988 wasn't a brave and audacious thing to do and creatively challenging uh well, I I did not. Are you right, Mister Low? Shut up, bitch. <laughs> um, I I I didn't buy that they were making a serious attempt at doing that. Okay. I, I, did you buy that they were making an absurdist attempt at doing that, though? Because I think that's more of the point. Like, a serious attempt at doing it would be Nosferatu. <laughs> like, a serious attempt would be something else. But a, a but a surrealist attempt at it, a, an absurdist attempt at it, would look very much like this. And I think that they were conscious of that. And I, I think this performance is, is un separatable from the movie i don't think i think they knew what they had when it started and i think that the director went okay let's make the movie around this approach and it to me it's kind of like a weird work of genius i i i, I hear i'll just come out and say it however not one that i feel great about fighting for because if it doesn't strike you that way i don't see how anybody could convince you otherwise <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> um, uh, okay. I mean, I, I, I guess if I was going to go into it and look at it that way, I could maybe go along for that ride. Um, but I didn't feel like the other people were in the same, if that's the movie it is, I didn't feel like the other people were in that, in that movie. I felt like Nicolas Cage was in that movie. And I didn't feel like the other people necessarily were. I agree. And in this case, I don't think that has anything to do with it being a good or bad movie or, or not. I, I look at it like, I think it's, I think it's like going back to like sixties movies, almost like it feels like the president's analyst almost, mm. you know, I mean, this, this, this could be a Roger Corman movie. It could be a lot of different kinds of movies. It's a ridiculous premise. I totally agree with you there, but, but everybody and in those I, movies was in the same movie. No, not in, not in, not in Bob Downey senior movies, not in Robert Downey senior movies. They weren't, they were, they were, didn't know sometimes what was going on and they were woken up out of a deep sleep on the side of the sidewalk and asked to be in a movie. And they did, uh, I mean, the fact that they made this movie very cheaply and then had him running around with fake vampire teeth without permits, just scaring people in the street, touches my heart in such a way that it's like, 
it's just old school craziness. And I, I I'm a vampire. Kill me. Kill me. Whatever. <laughs> whatever they had to do to create this insane patchwork of 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 inspirations and 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 things that I will admit I was I was not sure of how I felt about it for the first half. It really took until a certain scene for me to go, you know what? I think I may be in love with this movie. Like I think Okay. For I mean, those of you listening to the podcast, we just watched the scene in which, yes, indeed, Nicolas Cage ate a real cockroach, and he did it. He, he did, did it, it for the apparently film. three times. Apparently, was this? For, I heard three takes. Maybe they didn't get to the eating part. I don't know, but he did do that, and that's not even my. That's not even the scene. I mean, I that that traditionally would actually be a scene that would make me disfavor it. Because I'm not really big on, you know, murdering things for your art, which she did. But I don't really care because I just murdered one of those things like a week ago in my house. So I can't really blame. But I also feel like it's the kind of stunt acting that that gets a lot of the attention, whereas some of the subtler stuff does it, which is a funny thing to say about this movie. But it was actually... um, When he confronts... It is one of the mid-scenes where he confronts... confronts, Alonzo, Maria Conchita Alonzo, and he's going really rather extremely mad, and his eyes are, he's got his head back, and his eyes are rolled, so you see mostly whites, and he's going full crazy, like now he's like 120% vampire town, and I, I was like, they, they finally went far enough for me to go, I think this is the movie that I wanted to see, and I'm like, I, I I I think that they could have done things to make the first half better. I agree. I think that the 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 Maria Conchito Alonso story is not high stakes, doesn't feel like much. But then in another way, I feel like it's kind of this fantastic comment all the way around about the ludicrousness of of New York posh life in the in the eighties, and. I thought well, that's that I... interesting because my alternative title for the movie, I had an alternative title for the film, which is just another day in New York City. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of what I felt like. I was imagining the writer, Joseph Minion, who also wrote After Hours for Scorsese, which, which is a great is a movie, movie and, and a movie that, I mean, those, these two films together make me feel like, oh, he's had, this, this, this guy had a lot to say about New York. This was also early movies of his. So I'm thinking of him as a as a kind of angry, young, starving writer in New York writing screenplays about what he's seeing and what's making him angry. Wall Street had already come out like Gordon Gecko was what we were all supposed to celebrate in New York at that time. Late 80s New York was at least if you looked in the magazines was the version of New York that Trump wanted you to see. It was before he got into television, but it was this kind of like gaudy, really coke fueled, really obnoxious, you know, yuppies just like on steroids in terms of them feeling like they owned New York and were masters of the universe here. And 
I can really see this whole thing being just a, a, a you know, a spiteful stab back at, you know, at, at all of that from his perspective. You know, maybe he even had a, I could see like this all makes sense if he had an agent that he couldn't stand, that who was just an awful person, you know, a posturing nightmare of a human being. And he wrote this script just like in a frenzy of just getting it off his chest. And that's, it feels so personal. And it feels really, um, you know, raw and unfocused and and a little bit jumbled and maybe not narratively like no finesse there i had a little to drink i was a little drunk i think it, make, it makes actually, more sense as it goes that that line that's actually in my favorite bits of dialogue <laughs> oh yes okay i know i guess i was pretty horny pretty keyed up from being with the girl right before i was drunk too that was it i'd had a little drink i was a little drunk plus i was horny <laughs> that's the line it's it just a great goes scene. on it's it's just it's, it's a great it's scene a spectacular yeah. line. um uh what there there were um i i, I agree with what you're saying about the, the this vision he's trying to get through about New York and I I also think you touched on something where you talked about the lack of finesse which was a little bit more of what I wanted because I didn't get the in American Psycho we get the picture of the rest of the world that this guy fits into and 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 what has turned him into what he becomes and in this movie, it sort of just feels like a random start with this guy. Yeah, but when you say, but but it's a, but it, I I agree, I agree, but so is the metamorphosis. I mean, it, it, there's a picture of Franz Kafka on his dressing table. This is about the metamorph. This is like there, there's no explanation in the metamorphosis about why he turns into a cockroach. There's none. He just gets up, and that's his new reality. And in a similar way, I feel like this movie is just going like, no, no, forget the Hollywood conventions. I'm not going to explain the bat. I'm not going to explain anything. Screw this guy. He's a jerk. And <sighs> only jerks would want to be vampires. And so he's a jerk. And I'm just going to show you this jerk from beginning to end. And he gets worse as it goes. And I and I bought it. I just totally bought it. But, you know, it's also this is a, this. I knew we were going to differ about this but they put him into but, but then they then you put him in therapy with with a therapist who's arguably the worst therapist ever to walk the face of the earth breaking so how is that how is that not also a skewering of new york like uh, it, to me it's like a jules pfeiffer play okay all That's right. how I took it. I took it as like a just a, a deconstruction of just the worst time and person in New York that could exist that typified New York. And and I, you know, but but I think it also represents a real dividing line for you and me in terms of the kinds of movies we will accept. <laughs> it yeah. really does. Yeah. You are not you are simply not willing or care. Do you care to um, uh, give accolades to a movie that is not within the control of its filmmakers at all times? Your measure of appreciation for a, for a piece of art or a movie seems to be very much about how much conscious control the filmmakers are 
are able to have over the material to deliver exactly what they want to say to the audience in exactly the way they want the audience to get it. And that I, I actually held a real love of movies that are accidental, accidentally made brilliant things that are, that are messy, incoherent, sometimes drug induced, crazy screams into the wilderness that have a certain poetry to them that evoke a certain like um, uh, truthful feeling throughout them, even if they're not, you know, uh, made artisanally. Um, does that sound fair to you? Yeah, that sounds fair. I, I, okay. I, I like to, I, I like watching good plans well executed even even if the even if the plan is to show crazy i mean there are crazy movies that i like i i mean little murders i is a movie that's completely nuts and i love it but i feel like jules pfeiffer and dad and everybody involved in in crafting that play and crafting that movie were in were in charge of their vision the right. whole time my favorite none, none I, yeah. of it feels accidental to me another way to put it is that you like movies about crazy people made by sane people. Yeah. And I, I like, like I like movies about crazy people made by crazy people. I'm a vampire! 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 And I guess part of that is that I think what you like, one of the things you like, is you like the phenomenon. Like, you you can watch a movie that might arguably be a mess and an accident, but you love the story behind the creation of that. I do, and I'm not yeah. I'm not that yeah. interested in the story behind the creation of of the piece. I I want to look at the piece as it stands. All well, that's that's partly because the kinds of work you like is made by people that don't have a lot of crazy stories to tell about why they're making it, and that's true. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, there aren't a lot of other than the scripts not being finished for Casablanca. There's there's no crazy stories about it. I mean, the script wasn't done. All right. Oh, so they kept going back and refining it and shooting until they got it right. But it was all made by a lot of people that knew that they were after a certain balanced kind of beautiful Shakespearean pairing of elements that would bring about an enormous amount of emotion and feeling at the proper time in the film that they were trying to make. And there is one aspect of that though, that I think fed into one of the most brilliant things in that movie is that it put Ingrid Bergman into the position of, because she didn't know who she was going to end up with at the end of the movie, because they hadn't figured it out and they didn't figure it out until they, the very end that she was stuck trying to play that role in such a way that she could go either way at the end of the movie. So she really had to be torn through the whole film. And I, I love that story, right. but, um, well, so I guess a what lower I, level I, of craziness, but if you like, take that idea and extrapolate that so that it's a kind of a form of chaos of controlled chaos, which is more the way that filmmakers like maybe Cassavetes worked or filmmakers that, you know, um, we're, we're really popular in New York underground scene from the late seventies and during the eighties, like Abel Ferrara or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not saying, I mean, I think there is a real beauty to the, to the, their artistic ability. There is a beauty in that mess, but it's really kind of like, um, you know, screams from street level that, right. that are, you know, sometimes really effective. And I, and I, and I, I, I did, I saw that in this movie. I saw that this was like, I saw this was a legitimately home, like handmade iconoclastic weird attempt at something. And that wasn't what I expected. And, well, and, and not to lie right down on the therapist's couch during the show, but I think enough of my life, my actual life as a youngster was who's writing this script and who's making this movie. Things are going completely out of control. Right. And my, and my childhood was totally normal. No, yours was, no, <laughs> we, we had the same childhood, but I think our reactions to it were, you know, that, that you, you somehow feel at home in it. Like let, let's embrace yeah. this craziness and make art out of it. And I'm like, no, please help me find a place where this craziness goes right. away. And oh I am. God, where am I? Oh my God. I mean, I see the thing is I truly, for me, a scene like that, which I fell on the floor seat watching, you know, it works partly because of everything that came before it. And if, you, even if I'm going like, I don't understand the first part of this movie while I was watching, I was like, what movie are they trying to make? What are they trying to do? And I guess partly it comes from like editing stuff. You know, most movies are a freaking disaster when they show up at the editor's doorstep. They really are. You like to say that there's a big plan and it's all organized little Lego pieces that they've thought about and fit together in an orderly fashion. It's not true. Most of the time, even like time-honored filmmakers are just dumping off reels of footage that an editor's like, are you, what are you talking about? How am I... <laughs> supposed to make this work so in a in a real way even films that feel like machine design also are are kind of just chaos that you're <laughs> oh my god it says boohoo in the script he's gonna freaking say it boohoo yeah sort of like uh um IDAO. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. IDAO. Man, they got lookers. Yeah. They wrote it. I'm gonna say it. <laughs> yeah. Uh this this hit me in the in the surreal town. This hit me in like I thought Bunuel could have made this movie. He should have made it. He could have done a his own version of it. This should have been a remake of a Bunuel movie. All right, there's a moment I want to talk about. That's all you have to do. Yeah, wow. But there's a moment. I I have I have a the utmost respect for a woman who says I'm not going to do a nude scene. I'm not going to show my breasts. In <laughs> absolutely fine. That's great. Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. I'm not going to say, no, you're, you, you got to show your breasts. I'm not, you know, no. Um, but I am going to say that 
if you're not going to show your breasts in the movie, can we shoot the scene in such a way that the pasties that we're putting over them are not <laughs> viewed by the audience? Apparently that was difficult for some reason. I don't know why. What? And it, it didn't look like, oh, it was a slight mistake. It, it almost looked like, oh, there's some reason why this fantasy vampire character has pasties on. I, I really don't know. It was very obvious. But then it's also like, you know, that you're admitting this is also, I think part of the fact is that it, no one wanted to say they noticed it because that would have been like, well, we're not, we're not paying that much attention to you we just want to it's not like you had to go looking for it it's not like you had to be careful no. it's not like a, a momentary I, I, glimpse i believe that there it was darker on set and the color timings and the, the <laughs> yeah. it just difficult i mean oh, stefan chopsky okay. is, a, is a great dp it's not like i don't he's... think it's the dp's fault i think it's so uh, yeah i mean who, whose fault is it gonna be it's the fault of everybody on set who's looking at them saying, we can clearly see th that you have things pasted. There, isn't, there probably breath. isn't a video village in 88, so there isn't really a lot of people <sighs> looking at that through the... through. I mean, there's a terrible video feed, which it was probably impossible to see that clearly. And then it was up to Stefan Chapsky, who I think was operating. It certainly looks like he operates because he's holding a camera <laughs> in his picture. But Stefan ah, okay. Chopsky, you know, he did Edward Scissorhands and, you know, Thin Blue Line and uh, Ed Wood and... Yeah. And our, our producer... Batman Returns. Cassie Lemons plays the nudity completely naturally and without embarrassment. She she made the choice to not have a problem yeah, with the nudity. She, she, you know, she either did. are valid. But I know. mean, you know, Jennifer Beals had already given... She paid at the office. She'd already done Flashdance and she paid... <laughs> at the office already i i mean you know we, we could say a lot of things about the pasties but i will say that for me our producer she, she, pointing she, out you know wear a bra okay sure i i'm not i'm not arguing any of it with anybody <laughs> I'm not arguing that with you. But I will fight I'm to the death over whose fault it is. And it is Stefan Chapsky's fault in 1988 <laughs> that you see that. That's the uh, okay. Did you get that joke? No. Um, guaranteed. So. Oh. Um, uh, our producer is pointing out that maybe she was wearing pasties with the dress she had on, which is is a a fashion thing that happens with certain dresses, um, which I would agree with, but not if you're a, an imaginary vampire. I don't think imaginary vampires wear them under their dresses. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I think real women in real life sometimes wear them under dresses at, at the Oscars and things like that, but. It was noticeable. I, I, I didn't want to say that I noticed it, but I did. This and is it was, a it was, question for the ages. Alexis is. is asking, why do imaginary vampires wear underwear? It's a, This is a very good point. Sounds like the beginning of a good joke. Actually. Um, I um, And I want to say one last thing, one last big thing that I think makes the movie great for me. Great. Okay. Is that they decided to go the 
Max Shrek Nosferatu direction with this vampire character. And um, we're bringing uh, back that kind of really diseased, very disturbing, not sexy, you know, vampire, which we'd had a lot of in the 80s with the Anne Rice movies and the kind of like sexy rock and roll vampires that started then. And I mean, there was Fright Night and Lost Boys, but they were also kind of sexy vampires. Oh, yeah. This was just <clears throat> this this vision of a vampire that that Nick Cage had and then made good on, I think, in his performance, there's physicality and what he was referencing with his work in the second half of the movie. Um, was it really, I don't know, it was a really daring uh, approach for it. And more than a... so funny oh my god so um funny. should we bring our our producers on they have i would like to hear what they have to say and uh see where they where where we fall on their scale of of did we get it or not yes oh uh, there's alexis hello, hello. alexis hello. hello sophia sophia welcome to the show thank, thank you. you so Come have you on. been have you been listening to what we've been saying? Yes. All right. So yes. I'd I, I would really personally really like to know your thoughts and your feelings about how how we're doing. How we're doing here today. First of all, I'm I'm loving this discussion. Um I, I find it really fascinating because this movie is so polarizing. Like first when it came out, it, it totally tanked. Um, the budget was two million, and they ended up making like seven hundred thousand dollars from it. Um, and actually, the producer uh, Barbara Zitwer would stand at the different theaters where it was screening and hand out plastic vampire teeth. No, to get people to come in. Yes, she was like pulling a William Castle out in front of the theater. Oh yeah, um, wow. that that's how badly it it bombed. Um, and even then, you had critics on both sides saying this is the worst movie ever made and this is the most genius movie ever made okay and, and about nick cage's performance too mm -hmm. he is awful and he's brilliant mm -hmm. um, i personally really really love this movie okay um it's yeah. one of my top five favorites wow wow yeah. okay All she right. has a poster of it a giant poster of it she she dove into a bunch of research for every day would just be vampires, vampires, vampires. I, I, I feel I feel you on that. I really do, because I, I I didn't I had to warm up to it. It didn't I didn't get what was going on for a while. Like it really took took, took me about 45 minutes before I felt like I could go. Oh, OK, I'm in love now. I'm in love with this thing. Like I'm really in yeah. love. But I think that's also part of what's great about it is that it is not an easy movie to crack you don't really know how funny slash serious it is what its themes are really trying to do um so it keeps you kind of off kilter in a great way uh that i just found really unusual i'm glad Absolutely. you like it sophia yeah. do you like it also oh yeah okay Definitely. wow wow I all right i'm gonna leave you guys have a great show <laughs> um I, in the next week, tune in for the Arkham Brothers. You have always been telling me when our time is up, 
And I just wonder if maybe does it make you feel a little insecure when I say? Yeah. Next week, everybody can tune in for the Arkin brother talks about. <laughs> oh, now come on. Ah, <laughs> oh, you need to fight for your opinions, man. I also understand where you're coming from, Matthew, though. It, it is kind of interesting how it, it's so abrupt in the beginning. It just throws you straight into it with not much understanding of who he is. But then again, kind of like what Tony was saying, that's all, almost part of the genius of it is that we're just watching his story. This is this is his story. Um, you can make no mistake. You know, it's uh, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling. I'm trying to organize well, also, myself. you guys were saying everything very well well okay. also like the, the okay. pathos of it throughout uh. the whole thing is that like you know we we really feel for this guy and at times we don't like i i just i find it so fascinating how he's a completely unreliable narrator um we're seeing this movie from his perspective and then when we're not like when we're seeing it from alva's perspective it's an entirely different movie. And so that's that's what I was thinking a little bit, where like some people are in a different movie and, yeah. and in his own thing. Yeah. Too late, too late, too late. There's things about it that reminded me of uh it was kind of like a, a male version of repulsion in in certain in certain respects. Um as just a basically a document of a person going mad day by day they're mo like th this could be actually a very realistic documentary of his interior life yeah in like a weird way. definitely there's a moment where he i think he he says i'm it's like i'm talking to a wall and he says that to alva and it's like it's perfect because it, it completely like brings right. that in yeah and at the end he is talking and at to the a end wall. He is. yeah and then yeah. he's talking to a wall yeah it could be um, an, it, it could be so many things. I think that's an interesting part of it is that it really depends on the viewer. It could be an allegory for mental illness. It could be just a story about an actual a guy who actually turns into a vampire. Like it, right. it can. I thought it was it can, a great allegory for like the the coke scene, the cocaine scene in in New York in the eighties. Like it seemed like a great allegory for somebody going off the rails with drugs too yes and and also um the writer when he was when he was writing the screenplay uh he had been in this really toxic relationship with um the producer and so like of course she was furious when he had finished the script and gave it to her because she felt like this is just me this is us and um yeah like also with the with the coke scene and stuff he he references mescaline yes yeah. And so it's like it, it brings in all of these elements, which I think at its core is centered around just like being alone and very lonely in New York. Yeah. And and really living a lot. I mean, I think to take it a, a maybe a notch too deep, but maybe it's there. Uh, he this character himself is a fabrication. He doesn't really have an identity. He's clearly using a fake accent. The character, not not not. I mean, I, I not Nick Cage. The, I think the character is, is actually putting on this accent to appear posh, right? Yeah. Um, he's not from New York. He's only been there ten years. He's from a non-distinct place. He's, he's created from... this whole persona, and it's almost like that's what starts to unravel 
you know, once you start creating that fake persona, what's what's to stop you from creating the next one, which is would completely horrible. Like talented Mr. Ripley a little bit. And yeah. he's from Philadelphia. So right. it's like right. still where would that accent? And by the way, um Nicolas Cage based that accent off of his father, who was a literary professor. And so he like he just he really dove into it in almost a, a parody. But yeah. like you're saying, like he he's he's fake. And 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 willing to only do it so well though. That's the thing where Cage probably could do a better accent than that. Decided to only do half a good job. So his terrible like surfer lingo, like his horrible surfer voice comes through as well without any control. And that's either terrible, that's either a terrible performance or one that's so ahead of the curve, people aren't people weren't ready for it. Like they I think weren't. I would have gone along for a lot more of the ride if I again, and I mentioned this earlier, if I felt like he was surrounded by something that anchored us somewhere, you know, it all of this stuff that you guys are talking about, his character deconstructing throughout the course of the movie if if they had given him a real therapist to from from which i could have witnessed that and 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 gotten some indication that that's what was happening then i would have gone along on that ride and liked watching it but when you when you make the entire world completely i i didn't feel like i had a vantage point from which to see that because yes i guess because to accept it is to accept that the world is mad. And so wanting sense out of it would be a fool's errand. Like you're, it's a world wherein you're not going to get a good therapist. Like that's not going to happen. You want one, you wish one came in to make sense of it. But in fact, you get, you get a terrible therapist who is. This is my kingdom and my palace is but two blocks from here. Be off. God damn it. <laughs> I I have a thought on that. But on, but on. but if the whole world is if if you're just showing me a whole world that's completely random and really crazy and there's nobody in there that has any center at all, then I, then I I I don't know where to watch that craziness from. I guess is what I'm saying. We're, okay, well that's a valid point, but I don't. To me, that's that's not where i watch it from is not the is 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 i i'll accept wherever the director is watching it from no but if, but if but if you're looking at like saying something like like catch 22 right which is saying that the entire world is crazy right we we have yosarian to 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 orient us where we're supposed to watch the craziness from right but in this it my my point is that the unmooring quality of this post modernist approach to it is that there isn't that thing to hold on to it is it is what it's trying to convey it gives you the experience of the thing it's trying to say rather than give you a story about it and i don't think it's fair to criticize it for being what it is as a postmodernist piece of work so well, I guess to ask it to give you certain feelings is actually would make it not that thing anymore and take away the thing that I like most about it in a way, which is a complete immersion into his insanity. 
I don't need a reference point. I'm curious about what it feels like to be in this, the head of somebody who goes that crazy. For them, it doesn't, there is no sense of reality. So why, why should I as an audience have it for those two hours? I guess. There you are. I think to the to the point of whether that's an enjoyable experience or not is a very interesting question because I found this at first unnerving and then really enjoyable whereas it seemed like you just the the real enjoyment of it was not ever for you on the menu. No, I really enjoyed watching <laughs> it because I thought it was completely nuts and crazy. But I didn't I didn't I I didn't buy what it was selling as uh, I, I don't quite know how to put it into words and yet that's that's my job i guess i i don't i i like to know where to watch it from i i don't i don't need to see just random random crazy random craziness You don't need to see random craziness. Well, I, get I, do, it. <laughs> I do need to see. I do need to see Amy Stiller and, and David Hyde Pierce as as mimes fighting on the street. However, right? Was that was, was that the two of them? I didn't get that deep. Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I believe that's Amy Stiller and David Hyde Pierce. Incredible. Oh my um, goodness. Oh, and by the way, John Michael Higgins makes a cameo um, in the the bar scene. I think it's the second bar scene. Um, but I, I think that, at least for me, I really enjoyed um, just like being in that mindset and kind of feeling like I can't trust anything in this movie because he he's behaving the same way. I, I think that's definitely how he feels. He's so self-loathing and narcissistic. Um, and even with like the, like you can't trust anything and it's just so crazy, I think the opening of like the Gothic architecture in New York, like perfectly illustrates that where you see, you have a, a plain um, black box building, right? And then you have like this strange Gothic tower next to it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. told that we have a, a clip of Simon Helbert doing an impression of Nick Cage in this film. I, I think I might love to see that. He's like, you have to put it in the right file, you know, according to alphabetical order. You know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. That's a pretty good impression. It is, you know, it is. That's, That's pretty great. great. I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I, it's weird. Like I can totally see why this turns people off too. I get it. I really do. It's hard. I mean, it's a hard movie to, to try to parse in a lot of yeah, ways. And, 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 and Nick Case can really, can really turn people off and really can turn other actors off who are really trying to, spend their entire life getting to specific truthfulness you know it's the it's the other direction completely so it's a little it's a all little... right well so i lost the show this week i i can accept that <laughs> um <laughs> i 
had no I did I you know but the, I say this all completely thank you Alexis and Sophia oh, they went for away. your input they went um, away. particularly oh. thank you for my perspective as you came to bat for me and make me feel made me feel great so thanks yeah fine. Um, thank you guys thanks so much um, um I, I I thought that I could feel the way you felt for about about 40 minutes okay and then and then uh, and now and now I might get the poster for the movie. Uh double feature? That's a really good question. Double bill. We'd already brought up American Psycho and that would be too much because it's like that's just the same movie over again in a way. I I think that would be too similar. Um I'm going to go for Possession. Uh Andre Zulowski's 1990 psychopathically terrifying horror movie starring Isabella Johnny uh, who also goes crazy in a different way and it may be in her mind or not we don't really know okay good I like that what about you uh 1993's falling down oh that's good or, right or possibly the swimmer Ah, the swimmer. That's a great one. I like that. The swimmer's great. That'd be fun. Somebody who makes up their own reality. Yeah. Yeah. What's a day? What's a sky? I think I'll go for a swim. Tell me about the Um, tell me about the birds. Tell me about the chicken sandwich. (laughs) Yeah. Um, how would you watch this movie? I think the ideal the ideal viewing, clearly nursing a hangover on a weekday, playing (laughs) hooky from work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mine was to have it playing in the background on a loop on all of the giant screen TVs in a friend's sports bar playing an all-night poker game after hours. So that you're hanging out with your friends, playing poker, the bar's closed down, but each of you has a view so that you can stop in the middle of a hand and go, oh, watch this. Watch what he does here. That's perfect. (laughs) That's absolutely perfect. Love it. Who am who am I? Who are you? I don't know. Really, this was hard. I really just kind of put us oh, into the in the boardroom. I thought oh, we were just two, two two of those guys in the boardroom. Oh, this was easy for me. You were the cab driver who talks about his <laughs> wife <laughs> and how wonderful she is. <laughs> and I did a little gender bending. I'm the old lady in the in the ladies' room. <laughs> so funny, man. That moment was great. Right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. And um, re- recasting. Recasting. I really worked on this. Yeah, I thought a lot about it. I'm curious where you went with it because I only did him. I only got as far as him. But where did you go? Well, I, I, I went. <clears throat> I went in the direction of of trying to make it into the movie that I wanted to see. If if we were gonna, because at first I actually thought I was watching a vampire movie. And then when I and then where it lost me was when I found out it was about a guy going crazy. And then I said, okay, well, if I was gonna try and make that movie about the guy who's losing it in New York, who would I want to see in it? And I cast uh Penn Badgley, who I don't know if you ever saw a show called You, where he plays a stalker. Um uh Robin Weigert as the shrink. Um don't know any of these people now who feel silly. Uh, Aaliyah Shawkat as Alma. 
Okay. Uh, Aaliyah Shawcat is on The Old Man, the series. Wow. With, um, and Abigail Spencer as the fantasy vampire who could destroy your life. Yes. Um, there you go. I, you know, other than Abigail Spencer, I, I've lost, don't know any of the people that you were talking about, but they sound great. They did you, sound like did you, you. You'll know Robin Weigert if if you look at her. Um, Let me look that up. Then Robin, Robin. Weigert. She she uh, she played the shrink in the show Big Little Lies. She played Nicole Kidman's shrink in Big Little Lies. She's wonderful. Um. Yeah. Okay. I've seen her. Yeah. She's very good. Yeah. So you're going for a TV show vibe. That's that's. Uh, well, these that's are all good, good actors. I get you. In spite of the fact of being on television, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you're going for you're going for like a, a you're you're going to want to make this into a a series vibe, into a streaming kind of vibe, which I think would be an interesting <clears throat> dive. You know. Yeah. Um. But uh, and you you. Um. Oh man, I thought a lot about it, and um, at the end of the day. I think the most interesting thing to see would have been to do a recast, but the same year and do a, a movie in tandem with the same script and recast another scenery chewing actor from the time and see who won. And so my choice is Gary Oldman. Oh, wow. Who had already played a vampire? Not yet. Not, at this Not point. yet. Oh, he hadn't yet. Okay. Because uh, I think that it would be interesting to see, because I think he might be in the straight ahead version of the movie that might more appeal to you, that was more considered from a from a dramaturgical standpoint, maybe. Uh, he would probably fill it with a lot more extreme yet connected uh, character traits. Yeah, moments. Yeah, and it would be interesting to see an actor who was that crazy and that big, with a completely different set of skills and background, try that and see what would happen. Um, that's what that's where I went with it. All right. Well, I think we've done it. I think we have done uh, the Vampire's Kiss. You're never going to talk to me again. Is that I'm going to talk? I talk to you all the time. <laughs> oh, I, I, did, I did make up a drink called the Vampire's Kiss for the oh. show. What's but since that? we're we're pre-recording this in the morning, I decided You're not drinking I it. Actually, have it. Have you ever but, had one? Uh, no, but I am going to make it. Uh, it is um, it's two ounces of batch twenty-two. It's a martini, served in a martini glass. Two ounces of batch twenty-two, one ounce of sangue morlaco, which is a a liqueur made by Luxardo, and sangue morlaco. Sangue means blood. Ooh. And then there's a vodka called Vampire Vodka. One ounce of Vampire Vodka. So two ounces batch 22, one ounce Sangue Morlaco, one ounce Vampire Vodka, shaken over ice, strained into a martini glass with an Amarena Fabre cherry. Oh, that's great. The work's not just going to go away, Alva. It never just goes away. Yeah. So, and neither does this show, because we are going to be back next week with 
how many meters down? Uh, 47, 47. down. That's consists of many, that's many that, meters. That's more meters down than I have ever been. The, you haven't even have, shaken a stick at that many meters. I have been, uh, I've been 40 meters down. That's right. You're, you're a diver. So the, yeah. you will get something out of this movie. I was down to 120 feet, which I believe is, is, uh, 40 meters. I just know um, that is two hours, but I, I that's because I watch too many movies. Oh, there, there you go. Okay. Um, so uh, please tune in next week for 47 Meters Down. And do we have to ask our, our producers, do we have a special guest on that show? I'm a vampire! 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 Ah. We may have the uh, director and writer joining us next week for uh, 47 meters down. So, all right, that would be exciting. We hope, we hope you're there too. I hope I'm there. I'm, I hope I'm here. You'll be there. I'm a vampire. Kill me. Kill me. Oh my God. Good night, everybody. Talking about cocktails that are stylish, movies great or phony, and how Tony should win the Matthew, then Matthew should win the Tony. But in the meantime, talking about film in the meantime, the Arkin Brothers talk about movies. You've been listening to the Arkin Brothers Talk About Movies. That's my brother, Matthew Arkin. And that's my brother, Anthony Arkin. And we are interesting, irreverent, and irrelevant. But you can follow us on Instagram anyway. You can also subscribe to our newsletter and check out our merch. And you can do it all on our website. Just follow the link on your podcast app. Or if you really want to stalk us, head over to arkinbros.com. You'll learn more about us than anyone would ever want to know. 